You are listening to Books Are My People, a bi-weekly podcast for book lovers with book news, book recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. This is episode 23. My name is Jennifer Calagaris, and I am your host. I'm recording on Saturday, May 16th. On the docket today is making some more Montreal bagels and attending our son's school online annual fundraiser. In California, we are still pretty much home. Uh, I know some additional businesses have opened up for curbside pickup. The streets are definitely busier with cars and lots of people walking around, myself included. I'm looking ahead to summer, which is three very short weeks away. Both of my sons are graduating in a couple weeks, one from fifth grade and one from eighth grade. And since it doesn't look like summer camps will be able to operate or travel will be a real option, I need some help with summer ideas. So if you have any fun summer ideas that I can do with my 11 and 14 year old, please email me at booksaremypeople at gmail.com. This quarantine has definitely been challenging for a variety of reasons, but you know what makes quarantine better? baby ducklings. What started as an abandoned baby duckling post online has morphed into us adopting not one, but two one-week-old baby ducklings. I think their names are Juno and Billy, but they kind of change by the hour, so we'll see. Uh, But for now, since they're so small, they're in our old chicken brooder from when we hatched baby chicks this time last year. But I've been looking online and it looks as though they can live outside with chickens. I mean, my hope is that they will grow up and fly away. Our chicken coop doesn't have um, a covering on top. So if they want to fly away, they are welcome to. Um, But if you want to see a photo of our new baby ducklings, I have posted one on my Instagram account at Jennifer Calogaris. And I am sure I will post more because This morning, we gave them their first bath time, and it was very cute. Now for some bookish news. So apparently, I'm not the only one suffering from reader's block. I've heard this from a lot of friends and family members. Uh, Vox recently came out with an article about the neurological effects that anxiety has on humans' ability to read. And stress, of course, triggers anxiety, and anxiety can trigger bad sleep. I know it does for me. And this lack of sleep triggers a lack of concentration. So that cycle just keeps perpetuating, and I really feel like I am living out that cycle at the moment. Um, At the root of this pandemic is uncertainty, and that is the thing that's clearly making people so anxious. So in the article, they interview a neurologist named Dr. Oliver J. Robinson, and he says that what really brings about anxiety in people is, and I'm quoting here, um, that people are, quote, trying to resolve an uncertainty that is unresolvable. And I think this is really hard for our brains, even though humans are so smart and so capable of so much, we cannot resolve the fact that this is a problem that can't just be fixed. So I thought the article was really interesting. It didn't solve any of my problems, but it helped me understand my reader's block a little bit more. 
The trailer is out for the new Shirley Jackson biopics starring Elizabeth Moss, and I cannot wait to see this. I think I've talked about my favorite Shirley Jackson book before. I think it was uh, when I was doing sort of Halloween spookier books in October. Um, But my favorite book is We Have Always Lived in the Castle. She primarily wrote in the horror and mystery genre, Um, And We Have Always Lived in the Castle is just a gothic delight and um, just very well represents her writing. I highly recommend it. It's a little Grey Gardens meets Jane Eyre, and it's super short. If you are having attention span issues, pick up that book. I'm going to put a link to this trailer in the show notes if you want to take a peek. In other book-to-screen news, uh, Ray Fiennes is going to be playing Miss Trunchbull in an upcoming Netflix adaptation of Matilda. Matilda is my very favorite Roald Dahl book, and I absolutely love the musical. My kids were both in the musical. I can't remember if it was last summer or the summer before. Time has lost all meaning to me at this point. But my older son played Miss Trunchbull. Um, And I heard a rumor that may or may not be true that Jodie Cormer, the amazing assassin in Killing Eve, might also be in this version of Matilda, which would be amazing because she's amazing. Netflix is also in the works to reboot Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which sort of seems impossible because I think that movie's perfect. And also the BFG. And since my attention span is so short these days, I'm going to keep these podcasts short as well. So without further ado, on to the books. My first pick is a nonfiction book called Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker. This is a very fascinating and incredibly disturbing story about the Galvins, who were and still are uh, a very large family living in Colorado Springs. Mr. and Mrs. Galvin had a total of 12 kids, which I can't even imagine. They had 10 boys and then two girls in that order over a period of almost two decades from, I think it was the mid 40s to around the mid 60s ish. Um, And what made them so particularly fascinating was not the fact that they had this huge family, but tragically, six of the 12 boys in the family were diagnosed with schizophrenia. And so the family became sort of a case study for schizophrenia and whether or not it was due to nature or nurture. And in the case of this book, there's really an argument for both sides. Robert Kolker does an amazing job of bringing the reader into the Galvin household, the very chaotic Galvin household. Uh, Twelve kids and two parents are obviously a lot to manage in terms of following the story, but Kolker uses this clever device where he starts each chapter uh, naming the kids in birth order. So you kind of just get to, it's like a roster. You get used to seeing their names and then Um, he bolds the children that each chapter talks about specifically. So you sort of know, okay, my focus is going to be on Donald in this chapter. And oh, yeah, he's the firstborn because he's the first name on this list. 
The children were diagnosed during a time where shock therapy was normal, a normal way to treat schizophrenics. And the notion that mothers were fully responsible for schizophrenia was also just accepted as the norm. This is sort of an aside, but a pet peeve of mine when I'm reading nonfiction is when you get to those pages of photographs that are usually plunked right in the middle of a book, right? And there's little blurbs below each photo. Um, And since they come at the middle of the book, if you end up looking at all of the photos and reading all of the blurbs, uh, it usually spoils what is going to happen in the second half of the book. This just happened to me last week reading a nonfiction book. I was reading through all the photos and looking at the blurbs, and basically it hit every kind of spoiler and plot point of the second half of the book. So I know this is a super aside that really has nothing to do with the book, but I was so appreciative that the photos are just interspersed throughout the book as they happen instead of in the middle. So nothing is spoiled. There are a lot of disturbing things going on within the family in this book. So if that is a sensitive point for you, then this is definitely not the book for you. It made me very, very, very uncomfortable in places. Um, If you are interested in mental health or the history of mental health, serious family issues, specifically schizophrenia and the history of schizophrenia and the history of treatment of schizophrenia, then I would recommend this book. It's really a fascinating story. It's well-researched, well-written, and again, it is called Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker. Okay, we got the heavy one out of the way, and my next pick is much lighter and just delightful, and it is called We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. This is a book about a group of young women playing field hockey in 1989 for the Danvers High School women's varsity field hockey team. And they're basically known not for how well they play, but for how poorly they play. But the city of Danvers is also known for hosting the infamous witch trials. I thought they happened in Salem. I had to look this up to fact check it, but Danver is currently what was known as Salem Village, which is separate from Salem, um, where the women and men accused of being witches were hung. They were hung in Salem, but the trial occurred in Danvers. Quick aside, we drove to Salem for a day trip on our epic road trip adventure around the country and back two years ago. Remember when you could do things like that? Uh, and we loved visiting Salem. It's it's definitely touristy, but it also has things like cobblestone roads and just infused with so much history and lots of literary history. So if you're ever in the area and you have not yet been to Salem, I highly recommend it. Anyhow, back to the book that takes place in Danvers and not Salem. Um, Things start going their way on the field hockey team when the girls sign their name to a notebook that has, of course, Emilio Estevez's face on it because it's the late 80s and um, this sort of unleashes them to the dark forces of the world. It's not outright said that they're witches or this is witchcraft. It's just sort of implied. And they want to use their newfound powers to, first of all, perform better in field hockey, but then it kind of, they take it further and they want to prank people. 
So they become a team of misfit troublemakers. There's a can of sardines that they leave in the teacher's lounge, and these pranks sort of escalate to a tipping point. This is a really fun book with a lot of 80s pop culture sprinkled throughout. Barry has published four poetry collections, and even though this book is not poetry, it just shows through her playful use of language. There are references to a host of different witch writings, such as The Crucible and Macbeth, and it sounds like it's a book for teens, but it's really not. I think if you enjoy the subject of witches, if you enjoy Stranger Things and kind of 80s pop culture, and of course, Emilio Estevez, or even if you don't enjoy him, I think you will still appreciate it. It is witty and moving, and you really get to know these young women on the team as individuals, as well as how they work as a group. And it has a fantastic cover. So that is We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. My next pick is a book called The Housekeeper and the Professor by Yoko Agawa, and Steven Snyder is the translator. This is a book about a professor who was in a car accident, and as a result, he is only able to retain information for a total of 80 minutes, and then poof, it's just gone. At the time of the accident, which doesn't happen in the now of the book, he was an esteemed math teacher, but now he lives in a cottage behind his sister's house, and his sister is hiring someone to be his new housekeeper because people keep quitting on him. They just do not like working for him. It's frustrating, and he can be not so nice. So on the first pages of this book, a new housekeeper is hired and forms a special friendship with the professor, hence the title, The Professor and the Housekeeper. And by the way, I am not using their names when I talk about this book because the book doesn't use their names. Their names just don't exist. So the housekeeper is a single mother to a 10-year-old boy who often has to accompany his mother to the professor's house because she doesn't want him to be alone at home. And anyhow, the professor names him Root because the boy's haircut reminds him of the mathematical sign for a square root. And they soon form a relationship revolving around mathematic equations. Again, the professor's memory is fleeting, so he has all these reminder sticky notes stuck to him at any given moment. And this is a simple book, but it's one of those quiet, elegant books that creeps up on you. It's definitely more about the character development than about the plot. So if you're a fan of math, there are a lot of great math factoids and problems throughout the book and just a lot of math philosophy. And I don't even know if that's a thing, math philosophy, but (laughs) that's what I'm calling it. There's a lot of uh, pontifications on life and mathematics. The book was very popular when it came out in Japan, and it was even turned into a movie. So I would like to track that down and watch it. I'm curious to see how it translates on film. The movie is called The Professor's Beloved Equation. And again, the original book is called The Housekeeper and the Professor by Yoko Agawa. Next is a feel-good, fun book, because we definitely need more of those these days, that takes place over the course of one day, and it's called 
2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by Marie Helen Bertino. And just like the previous book, this was not published super recently. This one was published back in 2014, and I missed it back then, but I am so happy that I have now read it. So the story starts in the morning in Philadelphia, and it starts with young Madeline, who is a special sort of nine-year-old. She is unlike the other kids her age. She's a chain smoker. She swears like a sailor, and her mother recently passed away. And she also just has a love of singing. She has a very gritty, mature voice, singing voice, uh, perhaps because of all the smoking. I don't know. Anyhow, her home life isn't great. She lives with her dad, um, and they're living sort of one step above squalor. Her dad really isn't the best father, and her dream in life, her one dream, is to become a jazz singer. She's obsessed with jazz. She wants to sing standards in a club. But for now, she is thrilled because the school's most popular girl, who was supposed to sing the choir solo that morning, was hit by a bus. So she's very excited that she was hit by a bus because they've given the solo to Madeline. Um, And now it's her time to shine. And she's about to sing and show her worth to the entire school. But just before she's about to sing, that popular girl who had the original solo arrives at the assembly just in time, in crutches, takes back her solo, and sends Madeline down a destructive chain of events that eventually gets her, I can't remember if it's permanently kicked out of school or just sent home for the day, but she is out of there. So like I said, this book takes place over 24 hours. And in addition to Madeline's amazing voice on paper, she is just a character you will fall in love with. So in addition to her, there are two other characters. There's Serena, who is Madeline's very sweet fifth grade teacher, who kind of reminds me of Jenny from Roald Dahl's Matilda. And there's also the owner of the local jazz club, which is called the Cat's Pajamas, and her name is Lorca. So the reader knows they're careening towards this 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas, but it's the way that we arrive there that makes this book so wonderful. The three stories of these women's lives weave in and out of one another so beautifully, and it's just such a satisfying and entertaining read. And it's funny, but also with definite moments of darkness. And the theme of music works as a nice segue into my last book for today. So again, that book was 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by Marie Helen Bertino. And for my last pick, it is a historical novel called A Tender Thing by Emily Newberger. Uh, Newberger is a debut novelist, and this book is really a tribute to 1950s Broadway. The main character is Eleanor O'Hanlon. She's 21, and she is living on her parents' pig farm in the Midwest, and she dreams of becoming a Broadway star. So she answers an open call for a new New York musical, and that musical is written by Don Manaheim, who is loosely based on Stephen Sondheim, and he is her absolute favorite. So she decides to run away from home to New York to go on this audition. Once in New York, she doesn't get the role. However, 
Don Mannheim likes her so much that she ends up landing the lead in the next musical that he's working on, which is called A Tender Thing, where the novel gets its name. And this musical is controversial because, remember, this is the 1950s, and the story of this musical is centered around an interracial couple. So Eleanor is cast as the lead alongside her more experienced African-American co-star, Charles Lawrence. During the show's trial run in Boston, the cast is faced with protests by racist bigots who want to preserve segregation. Meanwhile, Eleanor begins to develop feelings for Don, the show's creator. Uh, She refuses to tell her parents what the show is about because she's concerned about how they will react. And overall, you just get a lot of what life was like in New York in the 50s in general, but also more specifically for a struggling Broadway actor and specifically what life was like for women in the 50s. The book is very focused on the show, a tender thing that they are producing. You're really in that world. You don't escape it much. Um, So you really have to buy into the show and you really have to want to spend time in the theater world. I think certainly any fans of musicals, but in particular, any young fans of musicals and people who care about social justice, which is hopefully everyone listening to this podcast, will enjoy this book. And I don't mean you have to be young to enjoy the book, but just know the protagonist is 21. And I think this kind of book would really make the perfect graduation gift for the high school or college theater young adult in your life. And again, that is A Tender Thing by Emily Newberger. And that is all from my end. All of the books and links to purchase these books can be found in the show notes section of this podcast or at booksaremypeople.com. And if you want to reach out and say hello, please do so at booksaremypeople at gmail.com. I am so excited to share with you that I have a handful of guests coming on the podcast starting in June, and um, there'll be about one guest a month. And the first is Joanne Hart, who is the author of multiple books, and we can talk about that with her. But most recently, a memoir titled Stamford 76, A True Story of Murder, Corruption, Race, and Feminism in the 1970s. I'm also going to put a link in the show notes to this book, or if you want to read any of her other books before she comes on to talk about them. And that'll take place on the second podcast in June. Up next on my to-read list is the latest novel from Curtis Sidenfeld. It is sitting right now at Diesel Books, my local bookstore, and I'm going to drive over there and pick it up in my mask and gloves. It is called Rodham, and I'm so excited about this one. The premise is, uh, what if Hillary Rodham had turned Bill Clinton down? I'll be back in 14 days, and I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish day.